Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Once a progressive pipe dream, the call to break up Facebook edged mainstream earlier this month thanks to a passionate New York Times op-ed by Chris Hughes, Mark Zuckerberg's college roommate and former business partner. This is me back in my college days. And this is my roommate, Mark. Together, we founded Facebook in 2004. Now, 15 years later, I think Facebook has grown too big and too powerful. Every week brings new headlines about privacy violations, election interference, or mental health concerns. I haven't been at the company in over a decade, but I feel a sense of responsibility to account for the damage done. First, Hughes' plea was met with high fives from the press. Senator Bernie Sanders quickly jumped on the bandwagon, joining longtime tech critic and fellow Democratic presidential hopeful Senator Elizabeth Warren. Then came a series of hard questions. How exactly would breaking up Facebook, which also owns WhatsApp and Instagram, address free speech concerns or help stifle the spread of propaganda on the platform? And how would American regulations affect the majority of Facebook users, many in the global South and in particular Myanmar? Facebook's monthly active users in Myanmar, it's about 22 million In Myanmar, Facebook is the internet. Michael Lewin is an American-born antitrust lawyer living in Yangon, Myanmar. From his vantage point, far, far from the U.S., he says that the calls to break up Facebook could have some wide-ranging unintended consequences. This coming from someone who's seen what harm Facebook has done. It's widely agreed that the massacre of Rohingya people, which started in 2017, was fueled by crude propaganda campaigns spread via Facebook. Lewin says that the reason those campaigns worked is bound up in the country's recent history. What happened was you have this country that opened up, you know, being a military dictatorship. You know, the education system is in shambles. You know, it's rote learning in schools, and suddenly they get exposed to all of this information. And so there are various coordinated propaganda campaigns that were spreading rumors about Muslims committing acts of violence, raping Burmese Buddhist women that were not true. And people have no way of which to judge what information is true, which information is not true. And the messages that people received uh, in incited violence by Muslims against Buddhists and Buddhists against Muslims. Sure. So examples would be things like kill all Muslims, all they do is breed, saying that they should burn down their villages, put them back to their country, they're not from here. And Facebook did not intervene, or at least intervened only too late when it realized that people were dying as a consequence of what they were reading on the Facebook platform. You know, the people in the human rights NGO community had told me that Facebook's public policy division, the top, they were made aware of this in 2014, maybe earlier. So they were certainly tipped off. So I think Facebook finally publicly acknowledged that their platform was used to, you know, incite violence on Myanmar, I, th- I think this year or last year. So they've admitted it, but, you know, that's, you know, four or five years too late. So it's fair to say that you have a particular reason for wishing that this problem could be resolved, the use of Facebook to transmit hate speech and instigate violence. But if you are motivated towards a breakup, you're not alone. 
Facebook co-founder Chris Hughes just called for it. Elizabeth Warren has been beating that drum for a while. Other Democratic presidential nominees have piled on. But now I want to ask you about your, in your antitrust role, you have no qualms about a forced breakup from an antitrust point of view. Yeah, I think I was still working as an antitrust lawyer during the Instagram and maybe WhatsApp acquisitions. And I was saying to my other antitrust colleagues, like, we don't have any basis for this under current antitrust regime, but this is clearly going to be <laughs> anti-competitive if you understand the business strategies of the firm, right? Facebook's market share among millennials is going down, and like Gen Zers, I think that's what they're called. But that market share is largely being ceded to Instagram, which it already owns. Which it also owns. <laughs> right? And that's the same sort of thing that's going on in the global south. If Facebook's losing market share, it's only to Instagram or WhatsApp. And that model needs to be reconsidered given the pace of technological change. So there's this laundry list of problems that Facebook has enabled. Election interference, alleged stymieing of free speech, coordinated propaganda campaigns leading, at least in the case of Myanmar, to ethnic cleansing, horrendous privacy breaches, the Hoover method of data collection, uh, and so on. From your perspective, would breaking up Facebook adequately address those problems? No, and, th and that doesn't mean that I'm not against breaking up Facebook. I think, you know, breaking up WhatsApp and Instagram from Facebook from an NHS perspective may not be a bad idea. I think breaking up Facebook and Facebook US, Europe, global, for example, may not be a bad idea. It depends on how it's done. But I don't think that resolves the core issue of misuse of the platform. Chris Hughes wrote a very good and informative New York Times op-ed. There's been other commentators on this. There's been legal academics. I think all of them are extremely US-centric, as it makes sense. They're sitting in America. But I think the most egregious abuses in terms of violence, death, Facebook's platform have not been in the U.S., right? It's been in a bunch of other countries. The United States is, you know, no more than 20% of Facebook's market. The rest of it is not in the United States, and that, that includes the entire southern hemisphere, where the calculus, you believe, has to be different. Yeah, and the antitrust analysis doesn't take into account that Facebook has pretty robust competition, especially outside of the U.S. I'll give you an example, WeChat. WeChat's a huge chat app in China. WeChat, you can do payments, you can order taxis, you can order food, you can buy stuff, you can do anything. You can do anything on it. WeChat is trying to rapidly expand into global South countries. So in Myanmar, you know, WeChat is used a lot by Chinese Burmese in the northern part of the country. And it's also gotten provisional approval by the Central Bank of Myanmar to be used in, you know, Mandalay, Naypyidaw, and various cities. This is true in lots of other countries. And so if the antitrust breakup or weakening of Facebook is not done with this in mind, you know, you might have even worse outcomes. For example, one of the ideas have been floated is kind of breaking Facebook's current business model where almost all of their revenues are from advertising, setting up kind of an ads clearing house and Facebook would make less money, but the ads clearing house would be able to pick and choose between providers of misinformation and not. I think that might work in the US, but I think 
it could potentially put Facebook at a great disadvantage from having free cash flow to compete with WeChat and Viber and other social media apps that, that are not subject to those kind of restrictions. And if Facebook withdraws from a bunch of countries, you might have even worse outcomes in those countries in terms of violence, in terms of people dying by companies who may not feel that they have any sort of obligation to respond to these issues. So you could get rid of big, bad Facebook and wind up with big, way badder WeChat, which is completely beholden to the Chinese government. Yeah, like if you look at like 10 cents terms of conditions, it just says straight up, you know, we'll comply with whatever Chinese laws say. Most of these companies are in complete alignment with the sovereign. They'll send all their user data to the sovereigns. They will comply with whatever censorship laws that are put in place. Facebook has been hiring content moderators, public policy people left and right since all this story broke. Facebook's reported that their operating profits have gone down by a not insignificant percentage because they've had to expand their operating expenses. If Facebook suddenly is squeezed on revenues because their business model got broken by regulators, maybe they can't afford to hire these people anymore. And maybe they have to withdraw, like Uber has had to withdraw from Southeast Asia, basically because it was unprofitable enough for them. And then other social media companies could come into place that don't care how the platforms use or misuse, or they don't come from this free speech traditions that the U.S. might have and will comply with incredibly broad censorship laws that are being passed by countries in the West, in the global South, as we speak. So I just want to be sure I understand this. As someone with a Burmese heritage, you're like, yes, this problem has to be solved. And as an antitrust lawyer, you're feeling that from an antitrust, that with the evolution of antitrust law, it may not only be possible, but advisable, at least in the United States, to break this company up. But if you look at it in the context of the actual marketplace, it could wind up causing more harm than good. Yeah, but I think that there are options on solutions and that the options that are being put forth are by U.S.-centric actors, you know, academics, people in the tech sector who mean well, but I think are largely insulated from the more, in my view, the more dire misuses and social consequences of uh, Facebook's platform for the majority of the rest of the world. So as a world citizen and someone with a particular interest in South Asia, tell me what is the approach there's the FDA. They have experts who review new pharmaceuticals, new kinds of food. Something similar proposed for technology would be a very good idea. So the Office of Technology Assessment, the OTA, used to be part of the executive branch. Yeah, that used to be a thing. All right, they used to be a thing, and they would write advisory papers on technology. That was shut down by Republican-led Congress in the 90s under the Bill Clinton administration, Hillary Clinton ran on a platform in 2016 to revive that. That would be a good idea. I think even better is that, that it would not only be advisory, but it would have auditing powers, and it would be staffed by people like professors of computer science at universities. Some of these professors that told me <laughs> that big tech companies like Facebook, you know, they can't prove it, but seem to have their developers avoid them because they could have real in-depth technical discussions about Facebook's algorithms, 
what training data sets are they using for those algorithms, their actual processes by which they monitor, detect, and resolve hate speech issues, none of which are transparent, right? So what I'm proposing is if the OTA were revived and given auditing powers, that would be really great. A second thing would be, in the American tradition, there is the First Amendment. But to me, for the non-U.S. issue, that still covers the exception to where speech under the First Amendment can be regulated if it involves incitement of violence. Brandenburg v. Ohio, Supreme Court case, laying out the clear and present danger standard. That could be applied here for government regulation with regards to speech on these platforms, right? Because in Myanmar, the concern is not about people's various political views and one person's offense is another person's intellectual debate. It's about real violence. It's about real violence. And this is the case for abuse of WhatsApp in India, you know, people getting killed because of doctored videos being spread on WhatsApp. The so-called WhatsApp murders are big news because they're happening so often. This video, which has gone viral on WhatsApp, it's supposed to show child snatchers at work. It's actually actors playing roles in a Pakistani child safety film. The messages with graphic and gory images claim that children are being kidnapped and killed so that their organs can be harvested. Right, it's certainly the case, the use of Facebook Live to document uh, killings in Christchurch. So under First Amendment law, you can have government regulation for incitement of violence. And I think that needs to be something that should be considered. You've got a third item on your list, do you not? The sharing threshold, which I think is uh, quite ingenious. I think that there is not a constitutional right to virality. Yes, you can get on your soapbox and the town square in a past era and kind of say whatever you want. You could get pamphlets printed in another era and say whatever you want, nation of whatever you say. For example, WhatsApp in India, WhatsApp has responded, essentially Facebook has responded because Facebook owns WhatsApp, by limiting shares to, I think, five people. You used to be able to share a message with 255 people. I think it's been limited to five. I think that would be really interesting, like, and something of the U.S. Supreme Court wants to consider, fine. But let's say your post gets up, you say in your post, kill all Muslims, you know, maybe it's really popular and, like, all your friends like it. Why is it incumbent on Facebook to share that far and wide? Because it's absolutely essential to its business model, which is about maximizing engagement, which means maximizing ad exposure, which means maximizing revenue. Fair enough. But the point I want to make for outside the U.S., that's not necessarily so. Like a lot of these posts are getting spread without any ads being spent on them. So I think in that instance, thought needs to be put into limiting the virality of those posts that are obviously inciting violence. And that does not run afoul of First Amendment law or Articles 19 and 20 of the ICCPR. The devil you know? It could be that, but it's also, you know, it looks like Facebook is pretty scared by all this and that they would be willing to comply with thoughtfully crafted regulations but yeah, if Facebook suddenly withdraws from a bunch of countries, you know, you might have even worse outcomes. So I, I said the devil you know. Maybe, maybe the truism I should have said was, uh, be careful what you wish for. I think the law of unintended consequences very much applies here. And I think we need to be careful of everything involved. And I say this like fully being, you know, upset with Facebook at how they handled things and thinking that they need to be better and they need to change. 
Michael, thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Michael Lewin is an antitrust lawyer and co-founder of Coco Tech in Yungal, Myanmar. That's it for this week's OTM Podcast Extra. Listen up for the big show this weekend, where we'll examine the possible pardon of accused U.S. war criminals. Meantime, follow us on all those Facebook apps like Instagram and sign up for our newsletter at onthemedia.org.